Bakerpedia. The simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. Listening to the Baked in Science podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to this episode of Baked in Science. We have Aaron Clanton and Jessing Cody today, and we're all gonna be geeked out on fermentation. You know, the process of gas production by yeast cells using carbohydrates. We even get to answer some of the questions you guys sent in through my LinkedIn profile. I am your host, Lynn Carson, CEO of Bakerpedia, the only online baking encyclopedia that helps solve all your technical questions. Have a question on yeast? Go to Bakerpedia. Let's thank our sponsors, Lalaman, for bringing this episode to you. Lalaman was founded at the end of the 19th century. They specialize in the development, production, and marketing of yeasts. Lalaman supplies baker's yeast and ingredients to the baking industry across North America and beyond. Go to lalamanbaking.com. That is L-A-L-L-E-M-A-N-D baking.com for more information today. With me today is Aaron Clanton and Jessing Cote. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. Um, you are going to help me answer some fermentation questions I have that came through from LinkedIn. And um, I'm very sure that you guys have the answers because I so. I've been talking to you and you seem to know a lot. So Erin, um, could you tell listeners uh, what do you do? Yeah, uh, certainly. I work for AIB International and have worked there 12 years, do a wide variety of things with training specifically on uh, bakery-related things, breads, cakes, cookies, crackers, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you offer consultation and classes? Yes, uh, we teach classes as well as then we can offer technical assistance to folks, uh, answering questions, going in and helping troubleshoot problems. All right. And you're a K-Stater too. I am a K-State graduate. You're in purple today. That's awesome. (laughs) Jessing, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Yes, I work for Lalma. Lalma is a yeast and bacteria manufacturer. So we really work on developing and producing at large scale volume some microorganisms that can help out people in different aspects of their life. So for bread making, for wine making, for beer making, to help plant grow. And uh, for the last year, I've been working for the baking division. So mm-hmm. I'm learning more about the use of uh, yeast in uh, bread, uh, bread production. So you have a PhD in biological sciences. Yes. So uh, you know your fermentation stuff. I know right? my fermentation so stuff. So you can tell our listeners, what is fermentation? Uh, well, it's uh, first of all the with the use of a microorganism uh, that's uh, present in uh, an environment that has su- sufficient nutrients to support its growth. Uh, the uh, microorganism is going to be able to transform, to utilize these nutrients and transform them into other compounds. So if we're talking about yeast, for example, if yeast is uh, supplied with sufficient amount of uh, sugar, it can uh, use it as a source of energy and convert it to um, gas to leave in the dough and also some uh, aromatic compounds and some alcohols. And so uh, it's amazing. So fermentation is a good thing. 
I think it's a great thing. That's awesome. Some of our bakers who are listening in don't exactly know uh, what kind of yeast they're using. Can you go into a little bit about the history of how you make yeast? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, the, the yeast that's being used for, for bread making and for beer making and uh, wine making also are these old, the same yeast, Saccharomyces mm-hmm. cerevisiae. That's uh, really easy to pronounce. Right? Yes. And you pronounce that so well. <laughs> I want her to pronounce that all day because it sounds so good coming out of her. <laughs> that's because I studied Latin in my high school, so I can pronounce I can it. that again. So Saccharomyces. Cerevisiae. Oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> so basically means uh, 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 Cerevisiae is for, for beer initially, mm-hmm. and uh, Saccharomyces is, uh, is, the year, uh, is the yeast. So yeast for, for beer making, but it's also used for bread making. And so uh, basically, uh, in order to, uh, to make uh, yeast at a large scale, uh, well, you need the, the pure yeast strain. Mm-hmm. And uh, because otherwise, if it's uh, contaminated with other microorganisms, then you're you have a risk of not being able to to grow uh, this specific yeast strain, and then you'll you'll probably not have the functionality you're you're looking for. Uh, so you have your pure strain. You need a source of carbon, and uh, usually we're using. Um, uh, so beet sugar, uh-huh. um, you know, cane sugar mm-hmm. or, or corn syrup sugar could also be used. Although uh, we're more and more moving away from that because the corn is being used right. for other uh, purposes. other purposes, yeah. animal nutrition, fuel ethanol. Yeah. And so, uh, so we're using, let's say, cane sugar. We also y- y- need a source of uh, nitrogen. And uh, usually we use a pure uh, nitrogen or um, a, uh, a different level, mm. different concentration level. That's food, right? Food for the yeah. Okay. That's uh, that's the uh, that's the uh, backbone to uh, allow the yeast oh. to produce uh, proteins okay. and its enzymes, uh. which. Uh, you know, will allow the yeast to uh, convert. You know, the the uh, for example, in in bread, the starch into uh, some uh, like CO2, uh, CO2 and the alcohol and the aromatic compounds. And so, when you have uh, you have your sufficient amount of uh, carbohydrate from the the sugar, the uh, nitrogen, uh, you uh, may also add some uh, B vitamins. Uh, some thiamine, some uh, riboflavin, also uh, some uh, some minerals, magnesium. Um, also, you you'll want to uh, adjust the pH to make sure uh, the yeast is in the proper uh, proper pH range to uh, to develop. Mm-hmm. And then you need a lot of air because if oh. uh, if uh, the, we want the yeast to grow and develop, we uh, we have to to allow it to be in an aerobic uh, state, not anaerobic. Because if yes. it goes anaerobic, then it's going to start producing alcohol. Oh, and okay. we're not at that point yet. Oh, when we're producing the yeast, you know. We, we don't want it to produce uh, alcohol at that point, not in significant amount. Okay. And so, so uh, you grow the yeast and then um, put it in, into a state where the customer uses it. Yeah. How do you prevent it from growing some more or like dying? In the case, uh, so once we finish the uh, fermentation process, mm-hmm. uh, well, we, we end up with a, like a big... Uh, 
slurry. Uh, we call it the the, the, the yeast. Uh, it's it's the yeast with the residual of its uh, growth. Sugar, uh, yeast. There, there's there's like a well the, at the end of the fermentation you you have some residual uh, nutrients. Oh, so, so you, you have to, to get that. rid of them. Okay. So you have to oh. centrifuge, and then you're left. Then you have the, what we call like the the yeast cream, oh. which uh, bakeries in the big large Liquid industrial yeast, yeah. bakeries cream can yeast, use. Yeah, yeah. Cool. and usually you can uh, you can keep that that product uh, uh, for at least uh, 21 days by, by uh, storing it uh, cold. Oh, yeah. okay. Very uh, We also can take this, uh, this cream and re uh, reduce the amount of water it contains. So the cream has like 20% um, dry, uh, dry matter. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, the block, if you, if you, uh, you have so like additional steps, you're yeah. able to get the compresses where the uh, level of uh, dry solid is um, 30%. Mm -hmm. And that tends to allow the, uh, the yeast to keep uh, a bit longer. Oh, so wow. you're extending, you're going to like a 30, 38 days uh, shelf life. Okay, so for our bakers listening and which last, which, which kind of yeast is best for them in terms of uh, a longer shelf life? Uh, so I, it would be, uh, it, it depends if, you, if they're able to get some, some fresh yeast from a factory nearby, they would go probably for the, the block or okay, it, so which the block is like the yeah. freshest yeast you can get. And from what I understand, it's also uh, a more resilient, um, it, it's quite resilient mm. also to, mm. uh, you know, fluctuations yes. in the process. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you know, if uh, you live in a remote area, um, you uh, you can also use uh, instant dry yeast, which mm -hmm. also has some really good uh, leavening uh, properties. Right, right. But those are expensive, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. Dry yeast is always expensive. Like my last choice to go to yeast because mm -hmm. you know it's just really cost not not cost effective. But it has a very long shelf life. It has yeah. a tremendously long shelf yeah. life. I mean, once it's packaged, so it does have that advantage. Yeah. yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, so we have some questions that were sent in through my LinkedIn channel. Um, these are really interesting questions where I'm going to post to you, Aaron and Jessing. Um, and go ahead and feel free to answer if you feel comfortable with it. Um, one of the first questions asked is, um, how does the sugar level impact fermentation in bread, white bread in particular? Um, basically, um, what would be a good troubleshooting method for low sugar fermented breads in terms of achieving volume? So what does, how does sugar impact fermentation? And what's a, a good technique for fermenting low sugar bread? Well, as Jacine said, I mean, the yeast needs some type of nutrient. When we're talking sugars, right. It's usually glucose or fructose or sucrose or something like that we think of. But, you know, in the flour itself, we have a certain amount of glucose present, natural sugars. And then when we have the enzymes present, they're going to chop the starch into sugars so that, you know, if we have no sugar added, we're going to have to rely on what's what we can create from the enzymes and the starch. Okay. And that's going to be either damaged starch as well as what kind of enzyme amylase enzyme activity we have. Now in the case of how the sugar impacts the yeast when we start adding sugar, certainly if on a solids basis, if we go like up to 3%, mm -hmm. 4%, That's right. we'll see an increase in activity. If we start going beyond that, 
Now we start actually seeing the yeast activity decrease. Correct. Unless you're using an osmotolerant mm -hmm. uh, yeast, which can That's withstand the, right. the the shock, the osmolality shock. So, is there a special yeast then for low sugar breads? It's 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 more oh. if you if you were, for example, you know, making a a, a dough that had a high level of sugar, mm -hmm. uh, you were probably using a type of yeast that was. Uh, you know, tolerant to that condition, right. and you probably no longer need that. You know, osmotolerant uh, yeast, and if you're going for a, a lindo, um, mm -hmm. but I believe, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken, uh, if you're removing the sugar, I mean, you have to have the the yeast. Uh, Exposed to uh, the, the the flour really, composition for the yes. for a longer right. period of time. It's or? well, it's longer time, but it's also that making sure that the flour has enough damaged starch and that there's enough enzyme activity to break the starch down mm, into sugar. Right. Mm. So, so your suggestion to this baker is making sure that checking with the flour supply to say, okay, what is our damaged starch, and then mm. what is our alpha amylase activity, as well as you know, you can add an additional enzyme, and one that you could look at is amyloglucosidase. Nice, okay. Which is uh, gonna create glucose. Okay, all right, so add in amyloglucosidase. Don't ask me to spell it, I don't remember. It's okay, <laughs> they'll, they'll Google it and they'll A find it <laughs> <laughs> And um, so that that particular enzyme can break down more sugar for the yeast. And um, how about just increasing yeast level? Is that bad? I mean, if there's no sugar present, yeah. increasing yeast level it's doesn't help. not gonna help. work, huh? No, so no. I mean, in the case where I've dealt with, with uh, you know, minimal sugar, uh, you do have to look at damaged starch and enzyme. Yeah. If you wanna stay truly no sugar added, you know, yeah. if, if you wanna add in just a little bit of sugar, then, you know, solids basis, I've done one to two percent. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, uh, you know, if we look at the the new uh, uh, labeling uh, regulation, if oh, you're yes. adding sugar, you have to uh, declare it. Yeah, uh, even true. though even though it gets uh, it gets transformed right. during the the process. Right. Sugar. Now there added. is under the new labeling, there is going to have to be some way to account for what is fermented and what isn't. Yeah. And I don't know that that's been well defined I don't yet. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have another good question, and this one cons uh, is concerning crackers. Um, what does time and temperature have an effect? How does time and temperature have an effect on the consistency of fermented dough in crackers? And does this need to be, how, how can this be reduced or increased? How do you manipulate time How do you manipulate? Well, yeah, certainly when it comes to crackers, I'm assuming when we talk in sponge and dough, we're talking saltines, yes. which is a... 16 to 18 hour fermentation time Ugh. in the sponge. And That's yes, I know hard. people are always looking at reducing yeah, that. Yeah, reducing that. Um, one of the things that I know people have looked at to reduce that is to look at adding in enzymes to yeah. help reduce that time. But the challenge is that part of what we're getting in fermentation is we're getting uh, acid creation. So the yeast is converting the sugars into some CO2, but we're also getting lactic acid and acetic acid, which are lowering the pH. 
that you know enzymes alone yeah it'll help create more sugar help speed that process up but you won't create those acids which equates to flavor so you don't get quite the same flavor development the other thing that acids do especially in a cracker dough is they um, change that gluten protein Mm -hmm. to where it makes it easier for us to sheep and and process so that when we pull out that lay time or you know fermentation time it makes it more challenging to get it sheeted and to get, well, really to get the nice structure that we so get. So am I hearing right that fermentation in this instance is due, is the, the length of fermentation is to relax the dough more than it is to provi- provide the gassing? Yeah. But can't, uh, couldn't you use uh, like a, um, you know, cysteine-containing yeah. source of uh, I mean, that uh, is what some folks do. And actually in crackers, it's not so much cysteine as it's usually as uh, sodium methyl. Because so, yeah, because we have a, a product that a uh, that's a uh, glut- glutathione rich yeast. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean some people have so gone to that, that a yeah. little bit too. Right, you can um, actually to to do that. So it. solution would be either an enzyme solution or maybe like a glutathione based mm-hmm. solution that they could decrease the fermentation time. Right, that's excellent. It okay. won't necessarily take account flavor. They'll have to I know. come up with that some other way. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with one thing at a time. Well, just with, with, with just the, the cheese in. <laughs> but cheese the, crackers. No, but cheese the, the glutathione-rich yeast is a, it's actually, it's, it's, an inacti- it's an inactive yeast. So an inactive really yeast look, right? yeah, has they, like a nutty, buttery right. uh, flavor, bready. Something. Right, oh, so they should really... Yeah. Flavor. Yeah. yeah, they should really look at inactivated yeah. yeast, right? That's yeah. what you're, you're saying. Okay, so the third question is... Um, this particular baker has blisters appearing on pizza crust after baking, and they darken with retardation. Has this got anything to do with fermentation? Well, the fact that the retardation is happening, and I'm assuming that's the dough being retarded, right. you are continuously having fermentation going on when you're retarding dough. Correct. And usually what we see is when we retard dough, it does encourage more blister formation because you've got that active yeast and you end up with the gas production and then it migrates to the surface of the crust and in a retarder we usually dry out and so then that accentuates the blisters to where you get the dark blisters and it's really through that retarding process. So how to overcome that? Well, the way to overcome that is to reduce the retarding <laughs> and <Darn>. fermentation <laughs> process, unfortunately. But there, there's a, there, is there some drying uh, occurring during the retardation? Drying, yes. So maybe you could prevent the, the yes. drying using yeah. a, I don't know, like... Covering, covering yeah, with or the, trying to the keep rash. them moist somehow right. yeah. would help. Yeah. Trying to control, you know, there are some people that if they have that retarding process, they'll try to control humidity in the retarder. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're at that mm-hmm. low of temperature... It, the water doesn't, or the air, excuse me, does not hold as much water to begin with. That's true. So it's hard to keep that moistness. That is really true. This one has to do with uh, fermenting maybe like a poulish or a biga for croissant production. Um, this baker would like to know, so his question is, how am I going to keep the initial biga alive, and how can I multiply multiply efficiently? Um, so this is for a sour. I'm this assuming? is for a croissant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually if, when people are talking about multiplication of, say, a, a culture, right. in that case you're doing a culture, 
and trying to maintain that is you're trying to keep the same flower water ratio. And the other thing you want to keep constant is the time intervals. Right. Because as long as you can keep the flower water ratio the same, that's going to encourage that culture to continue. What can be a challenge when you start multiplying or you start um, diluting, and it could be the other thing, is that now you start to lose that concentration of that culture. Mm -hmm. Which is key for the multiplication. Mm -hmm. You you need to reach a certain level if you want to afterwards allow it to to multiply. Mm So I know so there's different good stages. record keeping. Well, it's good record keeping process. and process and, and just consistency. Yeah. Right. Using the same consistent flower, the same water temperature, even the same ratio of, you know, mother sour to f- fresh flower to water. And and, and watch out for any other contaminating microorganisms. Oh yeah, that's oh, yes, huge. That's huge. Yeah. Because uh, the flower is 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 a, can it's be a big a, yeah, contributor like of uh, the E. coli and salmonella in there. You but know. not necessarily just pathogen and uh, mm. microorganism. I mean, like other <laughs> microorganisms that can come and change the flavor. That's you know, true. and then you're not gonna get the same. Uh, I think that's why we have so much problems with sourdough at the bakery level is the sanitation aspect of, the, of things. I think people don't understand how important it is to keep the, the equipment clean, you know, to keep hands clean when you touch the mother dough. And, and a lot of the issues are they, they're not aware of that. Mm-hmm. So this is a great discussion. My next question comes from the gluten-free uh, segment of our baking community. And um, the question is, what is the key factor to obtain a good fermentation for a gluten-free recipe? Um, so you know that gluten-free recipe does not have the gluten network right. that's required to keep the gas in. So what is a good fermentation practice? Well, it's not just retaining the gas. You have to have something for the edge yeast to eat and if you're just using starch yeah if there's no damaged starch the yeast can't get to it or if there's no amylase activity the yeast is not going to be able to process starch it's got to be a sugar right that's true so it'd be understanding where your sugar sources are Mm -hmm. or pre-gelled starch i think they use a lot of pre-gelled starch pre-gelled would have available as long as there's amylase Right. Enzyme to break the starch down. But what will Not be really. like the... I don't think that's much amylase in those systems. I wouldn't think so. No. Um, but I, I would think that one of the better practices for uh, fermentation for gluten-free is not to ferment too long. Probably not. Right, because there's no use in fermenting that long after all. I've seen fermentation times anywhere from 15 minutes to 30 minutes. I wouldn't think you'd... Well, you wouldn't retain the gas. Right, you can't so. retain the gas anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, I've seen um, gluten-free systems go from yeast to baking powder. Mm. And that's a huge difference, too. Mm. It's a different Even, flavor. Yes, it's mm-hmm. a huge different flavor, color altogether. So for gluten-free products, there needs to be an optimal fermentation time. And it some, falls somewhere between 15 to 30 minutes. That's where I usually see it. Um, I have a question on um, optimal fermentation. When you look at pen breads, um, and how would you determine what is a good fermentation uh, time for it? Not. Are we talking sponge and dough? Are we talking. We're talking about straight dough. Straight dough. Yeah. 
Um, one thing that you can look at is trying different amounts and say, okay, we're going to do 15 minutes, we're going to do 30 minutes, and then evaluating that product mm -hmm. and determining, okay, which one has the attributes we're looking for. Okay. Now, I have done studies from new crop to new crop where sometimes new crop will change the fermentation uh, abilities and it mm -hmm. really relates to uh, enzyme activity. Okay. So um, something that's under-fermented would have a lot of uh, oven spring, right? And Not something necessarily. I mean, sometimes, sometimes fermentation and oven spring, it, it's hard to measure because, yeah, there's times you think, okay, it's under-fermented, it's not going to have as much um, strength. But the fact that it's under-fermented, it may not have as much yeast activity either. So it may not have oven spring from that standpoint. Over-fermented, yeah, sometimes we're going to have a weakness, the protein's not going to hold on to it. Right. But sometimes that yeast is more active, so you're going to get more oven spring. So oh, it's under-fermented, over-fermented with oven spring, it, it really depends on what how is the window much. do you have like a window of you know optimized fermentation before um, you if we're talking sponge and dough it's probably 30 minutes or so mm -hmm. but it also That's depends good. on your temperature right because well, if you're talking, talking about normal temperatures if, 90 95 you know? well if we're talking that but we're talking winter we have a lot more of <laughs> one if we're talking summer okay we don't yeah. have as much yeah that's true that's true so if it's not a sponge and dough what's the window I would say it's probably still 10, 15 minutes. Shorter. It's a little shorter. Yeah, that's not much tolerance. In well, because dose. you've got, when you're talking straight dough and you're talking no fermentation, no bulk fermentation, you're going to get quite a difference in the way a dough runs from fi just 15 minutes extra rest versus 30 minutes extra rest. Right. And, and that consistency is going to be harder to... Right. manage on a consistent basis mm -hmm. and make quality product consistently okay well that's still a couple more questions to go but we are running out of time um thank you so much for coming on to my podcast today it's a pleasure Karen. you're welcome thank you for having yeah. us thank you let's thank our sponsors lalaman have you been following my bread journey on eatbread90.com if you have you would know that i'm lacking in vitamin d like so many North Americans, vitamin D levels are crucially low. But guess what? Lalaman recently introduced InstaFirm Vita-D Premix. This allows bakers to enhance the vitamin D content in baked goods, adding a little sunshine to every slice. It is also the only FDA-approved option for good or excellent source of vitamin D content claims for baked goods. So now, you can make vitamin D bread and when you do, please send a loaf to me. Contact Shamla Moodley at S-M-O-O-D-L-E-Y at L-A-L-L-E-M-A-N-D dot com to get a sample today. Hey, one last thing. Remember to like or leave a comment on this podcast. I would like to hear from you on how to make this podcast series better. Till the next episode, sunshine. Oh, 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 oh,